Zechariah chapter 3. I'll read the whole chapter. We uh, ended in the, the middle, uh, but uh, we'll uh, hopefully make some progress today. Uh, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand delivered from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel and he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you, and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and clothed him with garments, while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. And the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep the responsibility given by me, then you will also render justice in my house, and also keep my courts. And I will grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have put before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares Yahweh of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, every one of you will call for his neighbor, to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. Last week, we uh, set the scene. Uh, I, I believe that I, I made another mistake in, in uh, saying who the participants were. There are other people around, and I, I mentioned, I mentioned, I didn't mention other people. It seems like there are other angels and there's other people. Joshua was, was addressed, or, uh, uh, with uh, you and the people that are standing around. So uh, there are some more people that I, I missed. Uh, but we saw that this was a, a, a passage with powerful images, uh, a courtroom scene. And all the players were there. Yahweh was there, the angel of the Lord, Satan, and, and Joshua. And before the devil could say anything, God rebukes him and says, I'm going to do something. We, we talked about the, the brand plucked out of the burning. Israel and, and Joshua were literally like a stick that was in a fire. The end of the stick is burning. The other stick is impossible. In, in it's going to be burned. And God reaches in and takes it out. And that was the picture of Joshua and also uh, the nation. As we clothed, as we closed, we talked about his clothes. Uh, it was the removal of the filthy garments. Uh, the priest was supposed to be pure. And here he's standing in the court with filthy garments. We, t we talked about that. Satan didn't have a, a, a chance to talk, but, but it's like Joshua 
stole money and had the bills sticking out of his pocket, isn't it? It's like the, the, the devil would say, would you please look at him? His clothes are filthy. It's, look at him. It's obvious. It's an open and shut case. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And God says, no, I'm going to take care of this. And those clothes are, are, are taken off. The removal of filthy garments. And then the picture is underscored because God says, see, I've taken away your iniquity. That's the real problem. The clothes were just symbolic, but sin has to be removed. Sin has to be removed from every one of our lives. Amen. The gospel is not a cleanup act. It's transformation. It's transformation. And then he's clothed with festal garments, and he's given a, a clean turban, verse 5. It's all directed by the angel of the Lord or Yahweh, the, the last one to speak. Uh, the command and the picture is sin is removed. And uh, it verifies to us uh, that, that Yahweh is the one that can do this. If you're troubled with your sin, you go to God. You ask God to forgive and take it away. It verifies. There's a confirmation there in the language. Behold, he says, look. I've taken your iniquity away. When you walk around with a filthy garment, when you walk around with a guilty conscience, that's no place to be, is it? And God says, look, I've taken your sin away. And then he's clothed in festal robes or rich robes or pure vestments. We have to remember in the context, he has priestly garments that are dirty. He, he didn't have a dirty t-shirt. He's got priestly garments that are dirty. He's the high priest. Uh, Phillips says, there can hardly be more precious words or more precious sight than what we're presented with here. The, the, the history or the picture of somebody and their sin is completely taken away. And God says, look, I've taken all your sin away and, and confirms it and underscores it. Complete restoration, not only of Joshua, but Yahweh's people as represented by Joshua. Remember, the high priest is, represents. He's the, the head of the priesthood, the head of the, the, the nation. If, if he's unclean, what happens? We, we saw it with the northern kingdom. Not one good king, after, after, one after another. What happened to the people? They were just idolaters. They went, they went more and more. And, and the southern kingdom, what happened with them? They had a good one, a bad one, a good one, two bad ones, two good ones, back and forth. And that's what they were too. They, they, they drifted. What a blessing. Psalm 32, 1 to 2 says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account. That's true blessedness. God doesn't take my sins into account because of uh, faith in Christ. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now that shows the other thing. When I'm forgiven, what do I want to keep my spirit as? No deceit. Justification, sanctification. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. We sing a hymn, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless, to stand before the throne. 
that hymn writer had the right idea. He says, someday I'm going to a courtroom. Someday I'm going to sit in front of the throne. And if I'm dressed in Christ's righteousness, I stand faultless uh, before the throne. And then verse 5, the clean turban. And this is interesting because Zechariah speaks out. Uh, some say he, he spoke in hopeful enthusiasm. Some say he understood the, the, the whole garments that the priest should have and knew, and knew that there should be a turban. And he just said, but put a turban on him now. Finish up this great work. Uh, put, put the turban on. And uh, he, he didn't demand, he doesn't command, but he knows the, the garments. And it says, uh, it says basically, uh, go get the turban. And they put it on him. It's part of the priestly garments. Uh, Exodus uh, 28. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all those wise at heart whom I filled with the spirit of wisdom. And they'll make Aaron's garments for him to set him apart as holy in order for him to minister as priest. See the problem with dirty garments, filthy garments? The garments were the sign. These are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a tunic, tunic of checkered work, a turban and a sash, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons in order for him to minister to me. There's other passages like uh, uh, Exodus 29.6 and uh, Leviticus 8.6 through 9, which is really uh, Aaron's ordination. And they say, well, this is what he was dressed in when he was ordained. So this turban... Uh, completes, uh, completes the, the priestly garments. In Revelation 19.8, the marriage of the church, it said the bride, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, in bright, in, uh, bright garments, bright and clean garments. And the fine linen is the righteousness uh, of the saints. There's an interesting uh, text in uh, Job. Somehow, Job is just so fascinating because his, he knew so much and his three friends said truth all the time. Maybe the friends said it in the wrong way, but it's amazing. In Job 29, 14, he says, I clothed myself with righteousness and it clothed me. You remember the, you remember the conflict. They're saying you must have done something wrong None of this bad stuff happens to righteous people. That's not true. And he constantly is trying to say, no, I have integrity. So he says, I clothed myself with righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. And, and with the history of Job, you would say, where does he get this robe and, and turban idea? But that's what he said. I put on all these clothes that demonstrated I was a righteous man. We see also the prominent place of the angel of the Lord, which is Christ, while the angel of the Lord was standing by the end of verse 5. Oh, or verse 6, that is. Angel of the Lord standing by. Uh, Christ seems to be uh, there. And the angel of the Lord then in verse 6 testifies. Christ is involved in all aspects of forgiveness and cleansing. And Christ speaks for Yahweh. He is the word. He is the word. So the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua saying, thus says Yahweh. The angel says, this is what God says. Uh, uh, 
an important part. There's a charge or an admonition to Joshua in, in verses 6 and 7. Now you've been clean. Now you need to live a, a godly life. That's the, that's the idea. He testified. He solemnly told him. He gave him a charge. And the speech comes from Yahweh of hosts. Remember how many times Jesus was sure in his ministry and he said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. If you believed him, you would believe my words. Same thing. So here, the angel of the Lord Christ speaks uh, for God. He's the only one who's qualified to witness in this way and give instruction because it comes with his commission and with authority. And the first part that's in verse 7 uh, is an if-then statement. Now that your sins are clean, now that you've been forgiven, now that you're dressed in all the garments that you should have, he says, if you will walk in my ways and keep the responsibility that's been given by me or keep the charge. Now that you're cleansed, walk close to God, but also take care of all those priestly duties. That's your job. That's your role. You represent God Almighty to the people that you serve. If you do these things, if you pursue God, if you carry out your duties and your responsibilities in the right way, he says, then you'll render justice in my house and you'll keep my courts. Where is the, where is the, uh, uh, what is affected? Well, it's the people. It's their worship. You will also render justice in my house and keep my courts. We'll get back to the way it's supposed to be. The issue you remember in Haggai and Zechariah is rebuild the temple. In Haggai, they said, look, you're paying too much attention to your own houses. You're concerned about the paneling when the temple isn't finished. And God's restoration was to bring his glory fully back. Build the temple, fill it with glory, bless the people. But they stopped. They got discouraged. They got down. They were concerned about themselves. But, but here, this promise, this if then is, I'm going to restore it all. I'm going to put it in, in my courts and in my house, and that's where you're going to, going to see a purified priesthood leading people in the right way and God's glory in, in the midst. Forgiveness brings new resolve. Uh, 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 Trapp says, Godliness is the highway to happiness. The good old way that's been ever beaten down by all the saints that now find rest for their souls. There, there's no other way. There's no other way except justification and sanctification. We talked recently, the, the, the pastors together, about some of the things that, that have happened in the last several generations. And one of the false heretical teachings was that you can accept Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. And they made up this structure that, that gave people an out. Well, your life doesn't really have to change. We'll get to that later. But that's not the gospel. Right. Uh, that's more like Alcoholics Anonymous, that once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Just do the best you can. No. 
the passage and many other passages tell us that the salvation of Jesus Christ breaks the power of reigning sin and sets the prisoner free. And that's what I look to. I don't say, well, I got, I'm, I finished four steps out of 12. How am I doing? No. One step, one salvation, one person shed their blood. That's what cleanses. Not from some, from all. Dirty garment to pure garment. Turban, clean. And then he says, go, do what you're supposed to do. Live a holy life and do your responsibilities. Ephesians 2.10, we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. God says, I'm going to make you my people, and then my people are going to walk in a distinctive way. Forgiveness brings the promise and, and the hope of heaven. He, he says, I will grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. And, and that's where I missed it. There was other, participa other participants, you remember, they, they told people to put the turban on, they told people to take the garment off and put the other one on. Somebody did that, and I just, I just missed it. There's other people there. And, and it's, as if the, it's as if Christ is saying, look at this courtroom. Look at this heavenly courtroom. If you do this, then do this. I'll bring you here. I'll give you access to this. Remember, the high priest was all about access. How many times did they go into the Holy of Holies? Once every year. Think about it. Now that you're sinned, and if you repent and you serve me, you're going to have access where? As Pastor Gary says, all the way in, all the way to the presence of God, all the way to the throne room. Unlimited access. Uh, we'll see passages in Hebrews. That's what Hebrews says. We come what? Boldly before the throne of grace. How can a sinner come boldly? Because it's Christ's blood, not me. It's not my ups and downs. It's not my failure to read the scripture. It's not my sin. It's not my, my anger that pops up every once in a while. It's Christ. If we confess our sins, he faithfully puts it right back to square one. I have access. Boldly. Let us draw near with confidence, Hebrews says. And he says, you'll come, you'll come back to this heavenly courtroom. I'll give you access. All the people that in this vision you saw around this trial courtroom, you'll be back with them in, in God's presence. Revelation 3, 5, Christ tending to his church. The one who conquers will be clothed uh, thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name of the book of life I will confess his name before the Father and before the angels. What an amazing thing. They didn't soil their garments. They conquered. But they were clothed in white garments. They were dressed. It's not infused righteousness. It's imputed righteousness. Uh, uh, Dr. Sproul talks about it. He calls it an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that is not mine it comes from somebody else right never blot out your name you'll be saved and then confess his name before the father we're back to the heavenly courtroom can you see it confess his name before the father 
the father would have every right to say, who is this? Who is this person you're bringing before me? And it's as if Jesus Christ says, I paid for, I paid for this person's sins. He's one of mine. And the father says, he's pardoned, he's forgiven. Christ confesses our name before the father. What a savior we have. What a salvation we have. He ever lives to make intercession, right? So that people are what? Saved, you know, they kind of get, no, no. It says saved to the uttermost, saved all the way. Uh, Trap once again says, as through an enemy's country into the heavenly habitations and there to entertain and welcome them with sweetest varieties, felicities, eternities, fitter to be believed than possibly could be expressed. And he says, you can't even talk about it. He uses, he uses sweetest varieties, felicities, and eternities. He, he can't even say eternity singular. He says it's, it's eternities plural because it, it's eventually it'll be more than anybody could number from every tribe and nation. And, and the sweetest varieties. Uh, years ago when we lived in New Jersey, there was a diner. And the first thing that you came to in that diner was the bakery section. Yeah. Right? People are smiling. You know, you know what a bakery section is like. This place, this place was not just a diner. It was diner with capital letters. 600 people could fit in that place. You walked in there. You sat down. People are going all over the place. But the bakery, you couldn't get away from. Just a minute. We'll seat you in a minute. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to smell. <laughs> but, but it was all sorts of stuff. Look at the bread. Look at the pastry. Look at all those cookies. Look at those cakes. Look at the Italian uh, pastries. Look at that. Look at the tiramisu. Look at the cannolis. Well, trap is, trap is right. Trap is right. If you've stood there taking it all in, that's what he means. That's what he's saying. You think about heaven. You can't take it all in. You stood in that baker and you said, this is amazing. There's too many choices. I could have one of each. And Trap is saying in heaven, you'll have one of each in heaven. Felicities and happiness will, will pour out upon your soul. Not just a, not just a measly bakery. Not just cannolis. Felicities and happiness that you can't even imagine. Because you're saved. Because Christ has, has saved you. He knows heaven will produce wonders and happiness that he says it's beyond description. You could try to talk about it, but you really can't. It's too much. Well, then there's a call to hear. And this, this section is, is just amazing. In verse 8, uh, Philip says, this is about a servant, a branch, and a stone. And just to summarize the encouragement that we've seen so far before we move on, we just want to remember justification. Our sins are removed. Joshua in the picture is passive. He's dirty. He can't do anything about it. Other people come. They put the garment on him. If you remember Flo's baptism, we looked at a text that says, as many as are baptized into Christ have clothed themselves with Christ. Not only am I saved passively, but I say, 
That's the clothing that I want to wear. Justification and sanctification. It's a process of walking in Yahweh's ways and keeping the charge. It's spiritual growth. Now, we can never mix these two things. My justification is separate from my sanctification because my sanctification, no matter how holy I am or how blameless I am, never adds to this. All right? That's, that's an error of Catholicism. You're saved, then you add to this. That's why, they, that's why you can pray to saints. Because the saints were so good, they built up merit. Can you imagine a teaching like that? Well, this guy was so good that you can pray to him because he did more than God wanted him to do. That's not, that's not true. We have to keep them separate. Uh, I have quotes from uh, Dr. Ryle and R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul puts them together. He says, if you're justified, you're going to be truly sanctified. If you're truly sanctified, then you, you'll truly be glorified. They will go together. But when I'm justified, my sanctification doesn't add. It's only Christ's blood. It's only his sacrifice. It's only my faith in that. I can meet the most diligent person in Titusville in prayer and devotions, but it doesn't add to my salvation. That's what I'm supposed to do. And I'll get to glory one day and I'll say, God, all I did was what I was supposed to. I'm an unfaithful servant because your salvation is so glorious. And I piddled along sometimes. And I was slow in my duty. And I was slow in these other things. Nobody should say, oh, I... I Read 10 chapters a day. I do this. I do that. No. He did this. Yeah. He hung on a tree. He was rose. That's the power of my salvation. And that's what I have to pray for. I have to pray, Lord, give me resurrection power in my sanctification every day. Right. And by Wednesday, I'm asking for it again. And two days after that, I'm asking for it again. But it never adds to justification. He says, now listen, there's a call. He that has ears, let him hear, Jesus says. He that has ears, let him hear, he says to the seven churches. It's an intense call uh, to take notice. And here is the other audience. Now here's the other audience that I missed. Uh, uh, Jesus says, the, the angel of the Lord says, you and your friends that are sitting in front of you. So now it's as if there's another courtroom gallery, people that are watching what's going on and they're in the vision. So there was, there was those who were instructed, take the filthy garments off, put the good garments on, put a turban, turban on his head. They were probably angels. These are uh, uh, Joshua's associates. Those who were standing there, verse uh, 7, most likely were angels. The, the, uh, the, uh, Yahweh speaks to them to remove the filthy garments. They put the turban on. Uh, uh, but his friends and associates, it says, uh, Barnes says his companions are probably ordinary priests who sit as sharing his dignity as a priest, but before him uh, as inferiors. Uh, a picture of a restored Joshua. Uh, no more sinning. Now we move 
uh, f forward to greater works, but they're done in the, the company of all these people, his associates or his friends. It says that they are a sign. The, the, the word there can, can be a, a wonder. Uh, so some say a wondrous sign. Uh, they're, they're men of miracle, you might say. Uh, Kyle and Dalich says, these are men who attract attention to themselves by something striking and are types of what is to come. That's good. Remember what the garments of Aaron looked like. They were amazing. They were beautiful. There was gems and colors and gold and this. It was just, look, there, look at that. So these are men who attract attention to themselves by something striking. They're, they're high priests of God. They're dressed the way he said. They're not the Pharisees who strut along and say, oh, look at my phylacteries, how big they are. Look at my sad face. Don't you realize I'm fasting today? Not like that. They're striking men for another reason. Kyle and Dalich go on to say, they are mediatorial priesthoods, and it points to the mediatorial office and the atoning work of Christ. That's what their sign was. All the priests in Jewish history, what did they do? They pointed. Something else is coming. Hebrews would tell you, it doesn't matter how many they are. They, they failed because they died. But what did their work do? Point. What did their sacrifices do? Point. How many bulls and how many blood, how much blood of bulls and goats? Uncountable. You can't even think about it. What did it point to? One sacrifice. Uh, Leviticus 9, 7. Come near to the altar and, and offer your sin offering and your burn offering that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. That you may make atonement for them just as Yahweh has uh, commanded. Uh, Hebrews uh, 5 and verse 1. He, here's all their, uh, all their responsibilities. Every high priest taken from among men, so there he's, he's taken from among men, appointed on behalf of men, that's the second one, in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Why? For sins. That was their role. That's what they were supposed to do. That's, that's what they had. Chapter 10 and verse 1, the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifice which they offer, the same priest that had those responsibilities, can never by the sacrifices continually year by year make perfect those who, who draw near. God took away the first uh, to promote the second, but they were, they were signs. Th think of what the Levitical priesthood was, how it was a sign. It was one tribe. One tribe. They had special garments, special service. They got special provision. They weren't farmers. They weren't agricultural people. They got special stuff from the other uh, uh, people in the nation. And they had a special character they were supposed to. You remember, you remember Eli's sons. They, 
they disgraced the priesthood so much, it, it said God was of a mind to slay them. It was hanging over their heads every day as they took more than they should over and over and over again and threatened people and sat there filling their faces with God's wrath hanging over their heads. But then there's Zechariah in the New Testament. It says of Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they were both righteous in the sight of God. You see, Zechariah in the New Testament understood the exhortation of Zechariah in the Old Testament. Jesus said, see, I've taken away your iniquity. Now walk before God and do your responsibility. And Zechariah in the New Testament understood the gospel was in his heart. Him and his wife, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and righteous requirements of the Lord. It's almost the same words. Walk before God in all your responsibilities, in everything that you're supposed to do. And you couldn't walk up to them. You couldn't go to them and find any quirk or any little thing because they walked blamelessly. If there was sin, they confessed it right away. They just got out. They got away from it right away. He followed the exhortation that's found in our text. And then, then God says, take notice again. Behold, look at Yahweh's action. Look and see Yahweh's action I am going to bring in. It's all God. And what is he going to bring in? My servant, the branch. This, these pictures are some of the richest things that you can look at in reference to the ministry of Christ. It's a rich picture of prophetic passages. The servant passages show the clear identity uh, of the Messiah. Uh, we'll just look at these passages in Isaiah. I'm, I'm reading more uh, than I would normally uh, because uh, these are powerful passages. This underscores what kind of uh, Savior we have and, and what God appointed him to do. Where did he come from? He came by the commission of Yahweh, Isaiah 41 uh, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul is well pleased. That, that's got New Testament written all over it. The baptism, transfiguration. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A crushed reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will bring forth justice and truth. He will not faint or be crushed until he has established justice where? In the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus Christ. A global effect of the servant. Isaiah chapter 41, 1 through 4. Now he picks up the theme of the coastlands. Uh, coastlands doesn't mean... Uh, every, every state or every place that has a coast, it, it means the world. It means everywhere. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from afar. Yahweh called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He made my name to be remembered. He has set my mouth like a sharp sword. 
in the shadow of his hand he has concealed me, and he also has set me as a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show forth my beautiful glory. So there's the servant again. Uh, Isaiah 52, it's, it, it, it said he's the servant. Isaiah 52, uh, verse 13, and uh, 5311. 5311 is the last one that, that uh, uh, we'll look at. And as a result of his anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by the, his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. That's the, that's the servant who's coming. Jesus' own view of himself in Luke chapter 22 was, I am among you as one who serves. His own view of himself in Matthew 20 and verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He understood what his role was. And then the example of washing the disciples' uh, feet, he actually, he actually puts it out there that we all understand the, the relationship because he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and that's what you're supposed to call me. If I'm the teacher and the Lord, and I wash your feet, how should you act? That's the point of John 13. So that's the servant. What, what glory, isn't it? What an amazing thing. I am going to send my servant the branch. And then we get the branch. We're going to run out of time. Well, we always run out of time, but that's... The branch... The servant is the branch, and the branch is the servant. There's multiple rich, descriptive, prophetic passages. It's also internal uh, to the prophecy of Zechariah in chapter 6, verses 12 through 15. Chapter 6, 12 through 15 is the last piece of the vision. Remember, uh, uh, from chapter 2 all the way to the end of chapter 6, it's just vision after vision after vision after vision. And then he goes into a more regular prophecy. Uh, 6 verse 12. Then you will say to him, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, Behold a man whose name is Branch, and he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of, of Yahweh. Right? Not the physical temple. Not the physical temple. We've been over that a lot of times. He's building a spiritual temple. Saved people are the stones. Saved people are the pieces of it. And he's the chief cornerstone. Uh, indeed, it is he who will build the temple of Yahweh, and he will bear the splendor and sit and rule on his throne. Christ is the ruler. He's the Davidic king come forever. Uh, thus, he will be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace will be between uh, the offices. Now the crown will become a memorial in the temple of Yahweh to, uh, to these men. And, and that's what God's going to do. He's going to branch out. He's going to grow. How does the gospel reach the coastlands? How does the servant talk to the coastlands? Because he's the branch. He grows. It spreads out. He sits and rules. There's council of pieces with him. That's all those prophetic passages. Isaiah 9, 6. Of, the, of his kingdom, what's going to happen? There will not be any end. 
And what kind of things does he bring? He always brings righteousness. He always brings justice. So we can only, we can only cover uh, one, uh, but it's in Isaiah uh, chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Uh, there's, a, there's a problem here because they made the, uh, they made the, um, they made the chapter division in Isaiah uh, chapter 4 in the wrong place. Some, somebody, somebody did that. But uh, uh, we have to see that. Uh, Isaiah 4.1 says, Seven women will take hold of one man saying, You won't have to give us anything, just be our husband. The entirety, almost, of chapter 3 is all about women who will be affected uh, as the Babylonians come. Uh, in, in that day, the Lord will remove the beauty of their anklets, headbands, ornaments. Or, it's all about women. And the other, th the other thing that the, uh, verse 2 of Isaiah 4 says, in that day, and we've seen over and over again in the prophets, uh, in that day is the beginning of something else. And so I'm just not sure why it's there, uh, but it's there. In that day, it's a time determined uh, uh, by Yahweh. It's a time determined by him. It's not the same time period as the, as the women. That was in the exile. That was in Babylon coming and, and destroying their, their nation. But in that day, something else is going to happen, uh, and it's going to be the uh, branch. And uh, I'm sorry, but we are out of time, and uh, we, we have to stop there. So uh, if you want to look up these passages, Isaiah uh, 4, 2 through 5, Isaiah 11, 1 through 5, uh, Isaiah 53, 2, Jeremiah 23, 5, 6. I know I said that too fast, but uh, we are out of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, write these things on our heart. Help us, help us to this day to uh, just be amazed again at our salvation that's in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.